If you'll turn with me now in the scriptures to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, verse 1, it says, And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, and on a colt of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This morning, as we get ready to observe Palm Sunday. I'm sorry. What are you doing, Mike? I thought we were supposed to be preaching on Jonah. It's Palm Sunday. We preached on Jesus on Palm Sunday. I know, but I asked you to read from Jonah. I, I, I know what you said, but it's Palm Sunday. What do you want me to do? We did this on purpose, by the way. <laughs> I'm not that incompetent. <laughs> if you look in your bulletin, we really are preaching on Jonah on Palm Sunday. We're finishing up our sermon series this week called Better, Jesus is Greater. And what we're looking at today is repentance and forgiveness. You see, just like Mike clearly told me, uh, what, two months ago when we talked about this, that I was going to preach from Jonah of all days on Palm Sunday, I knew what Mike told me. I knew what I was supposed to do. He's the authority over me. I'm the intern. He's the pastor. He told me clearly what to do and... I went a different direction, didn't I? I did what I wanted to do and not what Mike told me to do. That's where we are in Jonah this morning. And uh, this was kind of an enacted parable, if you will, just, just to illustrate what's going on in the book of Jonah. We're going to look at the book of Jonah this morning, and we're going to look at repentance and forgiveness in the book of Jonah. And so we're going to see three pictures on that. As we look at the book of Jonah, one of the things that, that uh, I, I learned as I was studying for this is that the book of Jonah isn't about a whale. How many of you remember the story of Jonah and the whale, or let me be a little more correct, Jonah and the big fish? How many of you remember that story from maybe Sunday school as a child or something? Remember teaching it to your kids? When you think of Jonah, you think of some guy in the belly of a fish. But the book of Jonah isn't really about a big fish. The book of Jonah isn't really about Jonah running the other way. The book of Jonah isn't really about the city of Nineveh. What the book of Jonah is really about is God. He's the subject of the book. He's the first one to speak in Jonah and the last one to speak in Jonah. And what we see about God in the book of Jonah is that God is one who listens when we repent. And God is one who responds when we repent. So the book of Jonah is about God and repentance. So that's where we are in our story today, is that Jonah has been given a very clear call. He went the other direction, 
Mike read the scriptures uh, earlier about what happened to him on the boat in the midst of the storm. He, he told the people, the only way you're going to survive the storm is if you throw me overboard. What Mike didn't read is that part that we're so familiar with is 117, where God sends a giant fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days. It spits him out onto dry land. And that's where we pick up in chapter 3. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah again, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. This guy must have been a great preacher. This guy, he should have written books on homiletics. Because if you look at it, Jonah just walks through the city saying, Yet forty days! I'm sure he was pretty loud. I get a little bit loud. My wife fusses at me sometimes. She says, you get too loud up there. Yeah, I could imagine that would be Jonah. He's walking through the city, and that's his message. It was a pretty short message. But God was behind the message because it says that he went just one day's walk into the city. It was a large city, some 30 miles long and 10 miles or more wide at various places. It was between a river and a mountain. It was more of what we would call a city-state. It's more like a small kingdom, 120,000 people. And he just started walking through the city, shouting, yet 40 days. I know preachers that love their congregations. They love the Lord. They love people. They want to see things happen in people's lives. They're just not very good preachers. This guy, he didn't even like the Ninevites, and he's such a good preacher that they listened to him. And it says, uh, Jonah went, um, let's see, I'm losing my place. The people of Nineveh believed in God. They heard Jonah's message, and they listened to him, and they believed God, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. It says, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne. He laid aside his robe from him, and he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat on ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, in Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not all perish. Jonah went through the land. He shouted, yet 40 days. And people said, uh-oh, something's wrong. If you look in your notes there, uh, uh, this is the first one. It says, Nineveh, Nineveh repented out of a sense of guilt. They realized that they were wrong. I got here a little bit early, and I sat in Mike's office, and, and, and I've been thinking about this all week. And, and what I noticed was that three or four times while we were in your office this morning, Mike, you went, oh, didn't you? Yeah. Do y'all ever have those <sighs> moments in your life when my kids are just really loud and it's, you know, I'm trying to do something and I can't think and my, my, kids, are, my kids are just being kids and, and, and just go, oh, 
You ever have those moments where something just, you, you realize something is on your mind, it's on your heart, something's bothering you, and you just go, oh. I studied repentance this week, and what I was looking at is in the Old Testament, to repent carried with it the meaning of to sigh. It's a deep emotional thing, and it's connected to sorrow and the grief, where they looked at themselves, and in the Scripture, it, it, it says they believed in God. They heard the message of Jonah. They realized that they had been wrong in what they did. They felt guilty, and it was like a collective, oh, what have we done going on within the city there? But there wasn't just the idea of that emotional connection there, that grief or sorrow. It actually said there, the king told the people that each one should turn from his wicked ways. So in the Old Testament, there was the idea of that sighing, that grief or sorrow. But there was also the idea that when you repented, you didn't just feel bad about it. You changed because of it. There was an idea to turn, to turn away from or to turn away to. And so the king called upon the people of Nineveh. He said, we all have to repent. We've got to turn away from what we've been doing because we understand that God is real. So they came to an understanding about God, and they had to make a decision about what to do in response, and their response was repentance. Chapter 3, verse 10 says, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. What a beautiful thing. They repented and God relented. God listened to a godless people who had done nothing to serve him and nothing to please him prior to this moment, but when they repented, God listened. You ever felt like that? Nothing you did ever pleased God? Guess what? He still listens, even if we come to him in our guilt. But when I tell you that the book of Jonah is about repentance, I, I, I used to just think of Nineveh, you know, in general. But as I studied the book of Jonah, I saw that there was a lot more repentance that took place in the book of Jonah. As I began to examine it, I realized that Jonah did some repenting of his own. Jonah's on this boat. Mike talked about that, that the storm came up, the winds blew in, the ship was about to break apart. And where did they find Jonah in the midst of all of this? He was below deck taking a nap right? What a guy. I mean, the plane's going down and this guy is over there calling the flight attendant asking for a pillow and a blanket, right? The ship's sinking. They're throwing all the cargo overboard. They're saying, this is the worst storm we've ever seen. They're sailors and they're scared for their lives. Their ship is made to take the seas that they're in, but the ship is about to come apart and Jonah's asleep. And the captain wakes him up and says, listen, everybody's praying to their gods. Whatever God you serve, you need to start praying to him. Do you think Jonah really felt like praying in that moment? Jonah had received a very clear call from God. Go to Nineveh and preach against Nineveh. Their wickedness has come up before me. I'm sending you to Nineveh, the city we just talked about 
that was so wicked. But Jonah had a different idea. Just like I came up here and I started out with something totally opposite of what Mike told me to do, Jonah said, you know what, I know what God told me to do. I'm not going to do that. He didn't need a boat to get to Nineveh. What he needed was an Uber, right? Some guy rides up on a donkey with a cell phone going, hey, are you you the guy I'm looking for? But instead, he goes and he gets on a boat and he heads out to sea. And I don't know how far away from land he had gotten. I don't know how long he was on the boat before the storm hit. But it was out in the middle of nowhere. And they didn't have any hope in the middle of this storm to survive. And Jonah's running from God, and Jonah knows this. Jonah's told these people this, and they're all saying, we need to pray. Jonah's going, I don't want to pray because I've already talked to God, and I know how God feels about the matter. And so they did what they would do back then. It was a superstitious thing they did called casting lots. I've I've never done it. I imagine it's kind of like a cross between... Uh, rolling dice on a Ouija board, you know. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what it looked like, but it was a way that they could, they would discern things spiritually. And sometimes we know that God spoke through this. They cast lots to figure out whose fault it was, right? So they do this, and it landed on Jonah. And they looked at him and they said, Who are you and what have you done? He said, Well, I'm a Hebrew. And I serve the God of heaven who made the land and the sea. He's pretty proud of that. But it really terrified them. What have you done to make your God mad? So then the next question they have is, what are we going to do to make God not mad at us again? How are we going to survive this? Jonah says, well, all you got to do is just take me and throw me into the water and everything will be fine. If I'm not on the ship, God won't be mad at us anymore. He'll just be mad at me. Jonah was a little bit of a coward. If he really cared, he'd have jumped, right? But he says, no, if y'all will throw me into the water, everything will be fine. Now, these guys, they were were good-hearted people. They said, we can't do that. We're not going to kill anybody. We want everyone on the ship to live. Jonah said, all right, whatever. So they start rowing. They're going to try to make it to shore. They're not getting anywhere. The storm's getting worse. The waves are getting higher. The boat's starting to creak louder and louder, and they're going, okay, we don't have a choice in this thing. So they look at Jonah, and they say, okay, but first, we're, we're, we, we got to pray about this. So they called out to Jonah's God, and they said, Lord, please forgive us. We're doing what you want but we don't want to kill an innocent man. They, that's what they called Jonah. But we're only doing this because of you. Please don't hold it against us. And they picked him up and they threw him overboard. And in verse 15, it says, the sea stopped its raging. So Jonah's now in the water. Can you imagine being out in the middle of the ocean? No life raft, no life preserver. And suddenly, you hit that water and you begin to sink. That's what happened to Jonah. Chapter 2 tells us this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. After he had been swallowed by the fish, he said this. I called out in my distress to the Lord. Listen. And he answered me. God is a God who listens. 
I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great depth engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountain, to the earth with its bars around me forever. But you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. So Jonah's in the water, and he says, I'm not going to make it out of this. But then he decided, I don't really want to die. And he called out to God, In desperation, Jonah repented seeking rescue in your notes. Nineveh repented out of guilt. Jonah sought rescue. It was only after he prayed this prayer that the fish came along and swallowed him up. But get this. The fish comes along, swallows him up. He lives for three days. We don't know how. We don't know, was it a fish? Was it a whale? Was it a shark? What what exactly it was. It just says a big fish. It was a supernatural rescue, an undeniable act of God rescuing him when he cried out in desperation. Yes, he was wrong in what he did. He deserved the punishment that he was receiving. But when he cried out to God, God relented and God sent the fish to rescue him and it spit him out on dry land. And what did God do? It's like God hit the reset button. My kids like video games, right? And they're playing the game and they're going along and they make a mistake and their character dies. And all of a sudden their character just goes back to the start and he's perfectly fine again. That's kind of the picture I get here. That God picked up Jonah. He said, here, let me bring you back to land. Plop. Now, let's hit the reset button. Because... Back in chapter 3, it said, And God called out to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to Nineveh. God is a God who listens. But there's one more picture of repentance, and I'm going to let Mike handle that. I will first say that I know that when you hear that there are two preachers, your first thought is, Oh, how long is this sermon going to be? I've sat through funerals where they've had four or five. Actually, the most recent funeral I was in, we had six pastors who spoke and man that was a long service uh the church i pastored in pennsylvania we had a young man he was 18 but his uh mental capacity was probably about seven or eight years old but he was huge uh made me look really really small and he's sitting in the back rows with my predecessor not me just want to clarify and uh middle of the sermon he says oh how much longer do we have to stay this is so boring course everybody hears including the pastor and the pastor just kind of stops and he, he kind of chuckles he says I guess it's a good time to wrap up the sermon 
my goal is still to get you out on time, but I do want you to see that there's another act of repentance. Obviously, Richard has shared about the example of the people of Nineveh who were guilty, and they knew they were guilty. You have Jonah who was seeking rescue, but there's also another group of people that clearly needed to be rescued. And it comes from our passage back in chapter 1, where we look at the sailors who have simply gone on a journey. They had no idea what they would experience that day, and they had no idea that they would have such a traumatic experience. They are not necessarily guilty of anything, at least in the story. Uh, They even cry out to the Lord before they take this act with Jonah, where they're going to cast him overboard. And, And generally, it appears that they do it really as a last resort. So they're not praying out of guilt. By the time they reach their point of praying, they are no longer seeking rescue. As Richard just shared, as they threw Jonah overboard, immediately the waters grew calm. So as they pray, it's not as if they are asking God to now deliver them from this storm. They've already been delivered from the storm. So why would they have an act of repentance? Jonah 1.15 says, The men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I look at these gentlemen, and these were people who they weren't praying out of guilt. They weren't praying to be rescued, but rather they were praying specifically out of awe. They were amazed at the power of God. Richard mentioned earlier that these were people who had been on the water many, many times. These were people who knew what it was to be in a storm, but this was supernatural. They knew that this was a big deal. When they began to call out to their gods, they were hoping that their gods would somehow deliver them, but their gods were useless to deliver them. They could do nothing for them. So what happens is they end up calling out to the one true living God, the Hebrew God, the God of Jonah. As they fear the Lord, as they offer sacrifices, as they make vows, they do not make those vows or offer those sacrifices to the other gods. They offered it to the only one who was truly all-powerful. You know, it's an interesting idea that they had probably worshipped these other gods many, many years, called on many different gods, yet in their moment of need, their gods were absent. It's almost uh, the same thing as what Elijah had on Mount Carmel. As all of these prophets of Baal and Asher offered praise and worship, and they prayed to their God, they offered a sacrifice and asked Him to come and consume the sacrifice that was being offered. Yet their gods never showed up. Elijah, as he waited his turn, he mocked them because their gods were absent. Perhaps they were in the bathroom. Maybe they were a little busy doing something else. And then it came time for Elijah's God to show up. And when Elijah offered the sacrifice, he made it as impossible as possible. He pours water over the sacrifice. It wasn't enough. Poured more water over the sacrifice and more water. And then he knelt and began to pray. And his God showed up and consumed that sacrifice with fire. And it was clear to everyone who was present that day that there was one God who was still alive. And all of the people 
began to turn back to his God. It is because they knew that this was the God who was real. And this was the one who had that incredible power. Now back to the story here with Jonah. These sailors knew that there was one God that they could call on. So as they are on that ship, Jonah's no longer there. Actually, he talked about how Jonah was probably an incredible preacher, and he had to be to be able to preach that message there to the people of Nineveh, not even liking the people. Understand that, I don't even know that it had to do with Jonah's preaching ability, but the Spirit of God was upon him. When these sailors actually respond to God's grace, he doesn't preach to them, but the Spirit of God has been present, and they know it. Recognize today that the Spirit of God is present and He desires a heart of repentance with us. You say, well, what does any of this have to do with Palm Sunday? Palm Sunday is obviously a time where we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ was coming to us. That he was coming to be our sacrifice and he was coming to, in many ways, open up the door for us for eternal life. He was preparing the way. You know, there was one who actually went and prepared the way and it was John the Baptist. Do you remember the message that John the Baptist proclaimed? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. The call was, here is salvation, it is coming to you, but in order for you to experience it, you must repent. Then as Jesus comes, Jesus lives basically 33 years and Palm Sunday arises. And as Palm Sunday arises, we have Jesus in what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus is coming specifically to become the sacrifice for you and for me. Let's go back to those sailors again. What did they do? First of all, they feared the Lord. When we talk about fearing the Lord, we're not talking about uh, so much being Uh, afraid that you tremble, although there is an element of that. Uh, I think of Isaiah who cried out, woe is me. He was fearful. Woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. There is an element of that. But we are called repeatedly not so much to be afraid of God, but we are called to fear the Lord as in to have an incredible sense of who he is. For he is almighty. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is perfect in every way. And the mere idea that we could come into the presence of something so perfect is almost scary. I I get that. There's a sense of awe and respect. So we're told here that they had an exceeding amount of fear. They feared the Lord exceedingly. But then they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. This was an act on their part saying, you know what, I'm willing to give to make up for where I have fallen short. I am willing to offer a sacrifice simply to show you that I love you this much. Sounds like something very noble. Then they make vows. Do you know that Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice? You know, the reality is that the sacrifices they offered on that ship, I don't know what they were. I don't know that they had livestock with them. I don't know that they offered a a calf. I don't know that they offered any doves. I don't don't know what they had on their ship. Maybe they had some type of grain. They, They offered something to the Lord. Regardless of what it was, it was an imperfect sacrifice. But Jesus Christ, who was perfect in every way, would come in the triumphal entry, and he would come to be our perfect sacrifice.
and he would lay down his life. He would shed his own blood so that we could be made whole. Interesting uh, piece of information. Anyone know why the, the barbershop poles have red, white, and blue stripes on it? Um, I would love to tell you that it's because all the barbers are patriotic. That is not correct. Uh, the real reason is because when, and this began actually in Europe, um, when a barber took care of his people, his job was not merely to cut hair. Initially, and Josh may know the answer to this because he's a dentist, but uh, the role of a barber, he was also a dentist and he was a surgeon. And what he would do was basically, if you were a barber, you had to take care of all these different needs. So imagine for a moment that you have an individual who has a fever. What do you do to take care of an individual with a fever? In their day, they believed that the best way to reduce a fever was to actually to, to drain blood from an individual. So they would make incisions and allow a certain amount of blood to be removed from the body, hoping to lower the body temperature. They would use leeches. They would use all kinds of things. If an individual had a very severe fever, what they would do is they would take the arm and they would actually make an incision on the wrist, same place where people uh, often will attempt suicide because the blood would flow more quickly. And they would hold the wrist over a column. At the bottom of this column was a basin. They would watch as the blood would drain down and then they would measure the amount of blood. Thinking that as soon as the, a certain amount was in there, then they could be made whole. I want to tell you, I am so glad things have changed. When I go to the barber, I want him to take care of my hair and only my hair um, we had a place in uh, Delaware, that they, on their sign out front, they had tattoos and pizza. Now, I don't, I don't know which one you want. I don't want either one of them from there because I don't know if they're good at tattoos or pizzas. The point is, I want someone who's good at that one thing that they do. But here, I want you to see, it seems like such a foreign idea that you have individuals who think that by shedding blood, somehow they can be made whole. But do you know that specifically through Jesus Christ, you can be made whole because he allowed his blood to be shed for you and for me? You know, the reality is you cannot make up for your sin because you're simply not good enough. They offered a sacrifice on that ship and they thought, you know, we should do something. We should show our admiration, our awe of him. They offered a sacrifice, but it was an imperfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ became the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. And he paid the price for your sins and mine. And because of that, we've talked so much about repentance. Here's the reward. Whether we're talking about Jonah, we're talking about Nineveh, or we're talking about these sailors, here's the reward. When they repented, God forgave. I have no idea the things that you've done that you need to repent from. Some of you have simply been prideful people. Some of you have perhaps been unfaithful in your marriage. Some of you have said things that you know you should not have said. I don't care whether it's a big sin or a little sin. If we repent, he forgives. I don't care why you came. Maybe it was because of your guilt because you knew what you had done wrong. Maybe it was because you were in a bad situation and you needed someone to rescue you right now because this was a desperate position you were in. 
Or maybe it was simply because you realized how awesome God is. I don't think he cares either. He simply wants you to come before him and to repent. And he will bring forgiveness. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, we are grateful to know that you are a loving God who will always be there for us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. All of us have failed at some point. Lord, I ask right now that you would grant us forgiveness. We confess to you today that we are imperfect people and we need your grace to make up the difference. Thank you for allowing your son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for us, to shed his blood for us so that we could be forgiven. Thank you for that perfect sacrifice. I pray that you would help us to truly live as those who have been redeemed. Regardless of our situation today, maybe we come realizing our guilt. Maybe we come in a point of desperation. Maybe we come simply in awe of who you are. Lord, I just pray that you would have your way in us. Help us to realize how much we need you today. May you be honored as we become a reflection of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will tell you that as we look forward to Easter, Jesus Christ and his coming on the triumphal entry, as they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King, it was all in preparation so that the sacrifice could be made for you and for me. I hope that as we go through this next week, you will live in celebration of that. And come back next week and we'll celebrate what came next, which was, of course, the resurrection. Thank you for being with us this morning. Richard, thank you for sharing. Go in peace.